out and see your faces. It is a thrill beyond what I can express, and I'm glad that you have joined us here this morning, and I'm thankful for those who are joining us online. I hope that this lesson will be a blessing to you, as I hope it will be a blessing to me as well. A couple of public service announcements to make before we get started. The Bible Bowl was canceled yesterday because of the tornado that went through Gaylord. The congregation is, the building and the congregation, as far as I know, were all well. I talked to the minister there on Friday night, and so we are going to have a, the preacher's meeting this Tuesday, and they'll let us know if it's going to be in a couple of weeks or not. So, covering that, uh, also want to make mention that Greg and Kim are going to be leaving for Ghana this week, so have them in your prayers as they go over. And last but not least, there's a frost warning tonight, so if you put out your tomato plants early like I did, make sure you cover them up tonight. Just a free service we offer here. I wonder what it would be like to live in Traverse City. You may be visiting with us today and thinking, wow, what a wonderful place. They have bays, they have orchards, they have vineyards, they have activities. It just seems here in Traverse City. How many of you who live here still feel that way? Look at the hands go up. Of course, we, we feel that way. But as a visitor, maybe if you've gone to other places that are resort areas or you have gone on a cruise, you think, I just wonder what it would be like just to have fun to no end, just to have people serving me all the time. If you've been on a cruise, you know that when you come back at night, they've, they've shaped your your towel like a penguin or a swan or something. I think, boy, I, I actually took a class like that to learn how to make those. I can do it for you if you'd like, but not right now. So I think, gosh, just to have people waiting on me hand and foot. That, doesn't that seem like you could just get used to that? And your answer is, no, no, we don't want that. At least that's what I hope we will come to the conclusion of what would happen to us if everyone waited on us all the time, if all we had were servants and we didn't have to do anything. It's been over 60 years since President John F. Kennedy uttered those words, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And I've heard preachers turn that around and say, ask not what the church can do for you, but what you can do for the church. And I thought that was a rather clever play on words. Here in John chapter 13, Jesus gives an object lesson for us, for them, and for us, to understand about kingdom living. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
If you knew this lesson was coming up, you may have been worried that maybe there, I was going to pull out the basin and a towel. I was going to have everyone come up and I was going to wash your feet. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Some people have carried that as a tradition that Jesus started, that we should have a foot washing ceremony all the time. We don't live in that culture, and that's really not what Jesus wanted them to learn, was that we should have a foot washing ceremony on a regular basis. But he says, if I then your Lord and teacher, and as I break this verse 14 down into three easy bites to grasp, someone once asked, how do you eat an elephant? How many of you know how to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So we take this verse, and there certainly is enough in, in this to last us hours, days, and weeks if we were to really apply the, the technique of studying the exegesis of, of this, uh, this event that Jesus goes through. But for time's sake, we'll look at verse 14. If I, your Lord, your kurios, Lord, it means supreme in authority, that is, a controller, by implication, mister, as a respectful title. God, Lord, Master, Sir. If I then, your Lord, and that term, if we go back to the Old Testament, that small L-O-R-D was used. It was the Hebrew word anon. And it was a title that you would use for someone as a, a show of respect. Now, as we begin to use the capital L-O-R-D, it had a different implication, and then capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D had a different representation altogether. But a term that, that they would have used for Jesus, if I then, your Lord, your Master, in Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49, says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you. Everyone who came on the rock, when the floods arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built, but the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I tell you? So to call Jesus Lord without obeying him is exactly what he is trying to convey in Luke chapter 6. And he uses really the same thing in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, in the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. See, it's not just being able to address Jesus as Lord. Oh, Lord, we worship you this day. I'm not saying we shouldn't say that, but if we say it, we need to obey him because he is our Lord. He is our master in this sense. He says, if I then your Lord and teacher. And the scribes and the lawyers addressed Jesus as the teachers. The Pharisees and Sadducees called Jesus teacher. The Herodians and the rulers called Jesus teacher. People walking down the street who had heard him talk called him teacher. His own disciples called him teacher. 
Everyone called him teacher. Many people called him Lord. And yet there is that dividing line that separated those who really meant it because if they called him Lord and teacher, they obeyed what he told them. And those that didn't, I think the modern term is we're just giving lip service to it. Paul understood, if I said Paul understood this a little, Paul understood this a lot. As he writes from his prison cell in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he writes to the church at Philippi, beginning in verse 1, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And if we stopped right there, we would, that seems to be a good method for living. But he doesn't stop there. He gives the reason why. When he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he launches into what Jesus did for you and I. There is the model. As he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 1, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And it's one of those sections where it's rather unfortunate that that is the first verse of a chapter. Because if you start reading in chapter 11, you think, well, that's a great start. But back up a little bit into 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and read the last three verses of that chapter. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. And then he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. There, there was the model that Paul was living by, of Christ. He tells the church in Corinth that, and years later uses that as the same example to the church in Philippi. If I have washed your feet, to wash the feet of someone, and we have sort of lost that, and I'm, I'm rather glad that, that we don't have that custom in our houses. If someone comes to visit, uh, Greg and Kim are going to Ghana, and the first thing typically that people will do when you, you visit someone's house is they're going to offer you something to drink, and rightly so because it's hot, and that is an offering they make because they know you're going to be thirsty. But we, we go back 2,000 years to a time to where you didn't have running water. You had to go to the well to bring this water in. And you had the dust and everything of what's always... And you're going to be traipsing that through everyone's house. Well, the first thing you do when someone comes is you wash their feet. It's not only, not only a good practice, but it shows humility towards those who are your honored guest. And a trip through the Old Testament and those who are treated well as opposed to those who are treated violently shows why God had a heart for those who were aliens and strangers. And aliens and strangers are to be treated well. 
and to wash the feet of the guest was an honor for them. We read in the next chapter, offered to wash the feet of the angels, and the man of Gibeah offered the travelers passing through in Judges 19 to wash their feet. It was something that was common, to wash someone's feet. John the Baptist gives us a a glimpse into his humility towards Christ. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, he tells the people that he is meeting, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. And to carry someone's sandals was the job of a servant. He says, I'm not even worthy to be a servant of the man who is to come after me. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, we have the account of Nabal and Abigail. And Nabal, whose name is rather typical of his behavior, he's, he's rather a brute. But Abigail was known for her beauty and her wisdom. And when Nabal dies, David takes Abigail for his wife. And the first words that she utters when she meets David as he has taken her for his wife we find in verse 40 of 1 Samuel 25, when the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take him to, as his wife. And she rose and bowed her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. You see, not only was she willing to be a servant, but she is willing to be the servant who washes the servant's feet. Talk about humility of this woman who is going to be the wife of a king, the attitude that she is willing to serve. If I have washed your feet, and those words you long to hear, and as we close this lesson, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Any takers? There we go. We've got some hands going. We've got a smattering of hands going up. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Do you understand what I have done to you? Peter at first didn't understand because Peter says, you're not washing my feet. Not because he, he didn't like people touching his feet. He knew as we read from Matthew chapter 16, that he was the Son of God. He was the Christ. He was the one that they had anticipated for thousands of years. You are the Son of God, and you're going to wash my feet? No, no. Peter had the right idea there. In his mind, he understood But he didn't understand the object lesson that Jesus was about to teach. Do you understand what I've done for you? Yeah, you've washed our feet. But he's going to tell them, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Peter, in his first letter in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, as Peter begins to exhort the elders among them, and He teaches about what the the mindset 
of elders should be. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Humble yourselves, all of you. Paul writes to the church at Colossae. And you see that this this thread is woven through the writings of Paul, James, and Peter. Of the idea of humility and service. As Paul writes to the Colossians, in Colossians 3, beginning of verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too, in these, you too walked when they, you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Kindness, humility, meekness. Jesus would teach. I'll back up one more time to something that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. And I think it's one of the great statements that he makes, one of the thousands of great statements he makes in Romans chapter 12. Let love be genuine, he writes beginning in verse 9. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. No, 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 you go first. No, 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 you go first. No, 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 you go first. It's that attitude. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Outdo one another in showing honor. Jesus teaches about the difference between the world 
and the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 20, we find that James and John's mother have requested that her son sit one on the, let's see, which is your left? One on the left, or my right, and one on your right, which is my left. Just put one on one side and one on the other. That's all I ask of you in your David's. Verse 20, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? As if Jesus didn't already know what she wanted. Say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. Oh, yes. With all of this honor that we're going to take, oh, absolutely, we're ready to drink that cup. All the honor that's going to come to us, they'll be coming to us. That's right. We can handle that. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant with the brothers. Didn't we talk about this last week? Of course we did. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Do we really have to explain how power works in our world today? How it works on the governmental level? How it works in corporations? How it works everywhere. Top dog. Top dog is what it's all about. And verse 26, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, he had already taught them this principle in Matthew chapter 20. Maybe it was weeks, maybe it was months before this, but he'd already taught them. But now he has to show them using the towel and the basin and the water. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ did not come to have the world serve us, but to serve the world and serve one another. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul gives a rather interesting definition. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having the reputation for good works. If she is brought up to the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. And it's curious how people have looked at this statement, has washed the feet of the saints. And it carries with it more than just the idea that she has literally washed their feet, which she may very well have done. But the idea that she was a servant. She's washed the feet of the saints. And finally, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 
Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The time of sacrificing sheep and goats and oxen and birds is done away with. But the sacrifices that God sees that are pleasing is to do good and share what you have. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Humility and meekness and the willingness to serve one another, to become a servant. Beautiful song that was led about being a servant of the Lord. The mindset that I'm no longer going to aspire to be the top, the chief mucky muck, the chief cook and bottle washer. But I've been called, and you have been called, to serve one another. And the idea of being a servant of meekness and humility, comes from the very first teachings that Jesus gave. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. As he talks about, blessed are the meek. And that meekness comes as Jesus taught the kingdom. Unless you become like a little child. That's where it begins. The willingness to say, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Master. See, that's where it begins with us when we hear the gospel message of what Jesus did in coming to the earth. Not to have people serve him, but to serve mankind. And understanding that in that service, he was willing to go all the way to the cross and give his life for you and I. What a beautiful picture of what it means to truly give. And believing that, that we are hopelessly lost in our sins. Like a little child, we come to Christ. Penitent, willing to call him our Lord and Master, confessing that. And willing to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, represented in baptism. Rising to newness of life, not to have the world serve us, but now to serve the world. And where are you at today, servants? If you've not become a servant, this is the day to learn how to wash one another's feet. Whatever your need is, as servants, we stand ready to help in any way that we can. Always stand and sing. Jesus,